And welcome back to Healing for Church Orphans here in Downey, California in the United States at Abundant Hope Christian Center. We have a class every Sunday morning at 9 a.m. right on Paramount Boulevard just south of Florence. And you're welcome to come and join us at any time. Today we're, we return to Philippians chapter 2. And Philippians chapter 2 has five paragraphs. Five paragraphs in it and that are inspired. And the numbers help us find the verses. But there are five paragraphs. We briefly touched on the first two paragraphs. And the first two paragraphs really dealt with the, in, the affliction in Christ and the humility that we are to have. And then last week, we really dove into Christ's example of humility. And what we're going to do today is check again, go back to that, bring us back into context. We really just can't land in the middle of Philippians because there's one word that repeats itself at least three times in this section, and that word is therefore. You see it in verse 1, and then you see it again in verse 5. And then again in verse 9, you see three therefores. And the therefores are there for a reason. They are a summing up where Paul sums up. And so I really want to get back into the context. Chapter 1, Paul talks about his affliction. He's locked up in Rome. And he, although he founded the church in Philippi, uh, he misses them. That There is such love between the church in Philippi and him. If he had a favorite, this one might be it. Not a perfect church. He has to straighten out two women who are arguing in this church later on in Philippians. But for chapter one, he introduces it by saying, I'm in chains for you. And he writes it as a spiritual father to his children. This is why I'm, I, I've titled this class um, The Church the uh, healing for church orphans. I've said it a million times, I sometimes forget. Healing for church orphans. This is Paul, the spiritual father. He's not related by blood, but he gives blessings to his children. He founded this church. These are his sons and daughters in Christ. And he speaks to us as sons and daughters in Christ. And here he says, I'm locked up in jail in Rome in chapter 1. And this, and he considers it to be a privilege to suffer for Christ. And he turns around and tells them, I want you to be of the same mind. You're going to see him repeat of the same mind, one mind in the same accord here. That he is on the same page with them. Jesus would teach his disciples the student is no higher or no better or no more exalted than the teacher. That what the teacher had to go through, so will the student. I think it's Matthew 10. So as Christ suffered, as Paul suffered, we will suffer persecution. And throughout the world, it is in different degrees. Some Christians are executed for getting together the way we do right here and now. And the pastors are jailed and oftentimes executed. Certainly, North Korea is the worst at this, but Cuba, Vietnam, China, the Muslim countries, 
do persecute Christians. I do know of missionaries down in, in Mexico and Central America. They've been harassed by the military and in South America, all over the world. There's good, and even in Japan and Korea, where it's a cultural thing, you do not accept Christ. You do not become a Christian. It is cultural, and yes, it is even racial. They want, they like cultural purity, and they like racial purity. They don't allow people to intermarry with other races in certain countries like Japan and Korea. And so they see Christianity coming right in there with it. I've known missionaries who go to Japan and who have been going to Japan very heavily since the end of World War II, 70 years ago. And it's very tough. It's very tough. There is a remnant of Christians in Japan, but I do know that Korea is a powerhouse of Christianity. They have a prayer mountain there. And before the communists took over North Korea, Pyongyang, was the capital, was called the New Jerusalem of the Far East. A lot of believers are still in North Korea tonight. If they are found out, they are usually jailed, generally jailed, and many times executed. And their families are starved even worse than they usually are. Pray for the Christians around the world. We in the United States currently are in pretty good shape, although we do suffer some forms of persecution. Let's go back. And in the last paragraph of chapter 1, Paul is talking to the afflicted. He points out they need to have a good conduct. They're not to be fearful of their enemies. They are to stand fast in one spirit. Real unity. If you look at verses 27 through 30 of chapter 1. And the reason why I mention this because 2 chapter verse 1. Chapter 2 verse 1 begins with therefore. And we got to look at the paragraph before to see what the therefore is about. So he's talking about how they stand up in affliction with good conduct, not fearful of their enemies, standing fast in one spirit. They have one mind, one spirit, striving together for the faith of the gospel. And it is a granted to few, it is a privilege to few to believe and to suffer for his sake. If you are suffering persecution on the job or at the school you go to, or you, as for me, it was a school I worked at. If you are being persecuted and gossiped about, then it is considered you were, it is granted for his sake. We are granted the privilege to be suffering and believe. Faith and suffering, our brother and sister, they go hand in hand. So when Paul starts in chapter 2, verse 1, therefore, if there's any encouragement, uh, consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and mercy, fulfill my joy by being like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. This is where we see the one mind, the, the one, I got it right here. It is the encouragement in Christ. It is the comfort of his love, the fellowship of the Spirit in affection and in mercy. The affection among the brethren, the mercy among the Father, comfort of love, encouragement in Christ. 
And notice he is going to say throughout this section, in Christ, in Christ, in Christ. He is emphasizing the power of the Holy Spirit. He tells them in verse 4, let each of you look out not only for his own interests, but also for the interests of others. Look out, look at, look out for each other, especially the young ones, especially the lame ones. Look out for them because you're literally surrounded by a pack of wolves. The Roman governor, government and the Jewish authorities, the synagogues, were after these people and they were very casual about having them chained and locked up and executed. Let's go back to verse 5, as we did last week. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. He puts Christ before Jesus, emphasizing the... You can't do this in the flesh. You can't do this in your own stubborn will. You have to have the power of the Holy Spirit. Verse 6, who being in the form of God did not consider it robbery to be equal with God. In this section, in verses 5 through 11, we're talking about Christ's humility. That he humbled himself to leave heaven. He humbled himself to be born in a manger. And you know what's in a manger besides food and water. It is animal dung. The stench. That's where Mary gave birth to her baby Jesus. And those of you who have been mothers in here, you probably had your babies in a nice clean hospital. More often than not. If you were had your babies in this country. But imagine if you went to a stable and had to have your baby in the middle of the night out there. We also know that Christ humbled himself by washing the feet of his disciples. We mentioned this last time. And when you were walking out in the streets of Jerusalem before Passover, you were walking through animal dung. If there was no sanitation services in those days, where it dropped is where it stayed. So when Jesus washed the feet of the disciples at the Passover Seder, he was washing off much of that. So he was born in it, and then on the last night of his life, before the cross, he was washing off it from their feet, including Judas Iscariot. And that's where we ended last week. Let's go to the next therefore in verse 12. Therefore, he talks to who? Us, the beloved. Now he asks us to live out a life of humility. After showing the, the, the example of Christ, he says, now it's your turn, now it's my turn. Therefore, in verse 12, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. We work out our salvation by seeing Christ's example of humility and copying that humility. What he did, I will do. Now those of us who have been caregivers in here who take care of family or elderly, we have to deal with stuff cleanliness, food, keeping the bathroom clean, things like that. That is a humbling experience when you do it for a relative 
and that relative may not always be pleasant. So we work out our salvation at those moments in the middle of the night when something goes wrong and there's a mess to clean up, there is sheets to put through the washer and, and nightgowns and all that stuff. And you got to do things like that. And we work out our salvation, meaning we receive salvation as a gift and now we put it in shoe leather. Now we walk it out. And he says with fear and trembling, that word fear means in awe and respect of the Father. It is not hiding under the bed and trembling. This kind of trembling is under the power of God. When he's trembling, it is in the Holy Spirit that makes the flesh tremble. And the, when the flesh trembles, it means it's no use. I mean, Lord, be merciful unto me. Grant me your power and your patience as I do this at three in the morning and deal with the situation at hand with the person I'm taking care of. As you know in this class, my mom. And her attitude isn't always good. At that age, when they have a problem in the middle of the night and you got to do cleaning for the next few hours and, and washing and drying and and the washer dry, and doing things like that. Then you just got to do it in the middle of the night. It's there. Thank God you got a washer dryer. And you just got to do it. And you got to get things back to where it's clean again. So he says, work out your own salvation. Not in Paul's presence, but in his absence. Paul was locked up. And in his absence, he says, even in my absence, my beloved these are his beloved children. These are his beloved sons and daughters. To work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Verse 13. For it is God who works in you both to will and to do for his good pleasure. And then there's a period there. He's mentioned this before. If you were to turn back to chapter 1 verse 6. Where he tells the Philippian believers, his children. Being confident of this very thing. That he who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. He says Jesus Christ and it's a day. It's a day of judgment. He's going to complete the work in you. What's this work? To become like Christ in humility. Humility says that other person's needs come first. And mine comes second or it's not even on the list. That's where the practicality is. Christian life is to be lived. It is to be lived even if our spiritual father is not there. It is to be lived out in, in our lives at the most inconvenient hour and the most inconvenient time. Because it is God who works in you, it says in verse 13. He's the power, the creator God, G-O-D, Elohim. He works in you both to do his will and for his good pleasure. It pleasures him. When we are becoming humbled. Like Christ. And to become humbled like Christ. Is to say. It's not. I'm not proclaiming. Or demanding my rights. I'm taking the needs of someone else. And putting it first. That's a choice. That is done out of obedience. And faith obedience and faith that at least this 
this time will be done. And as a caregiver, I'm just, I'm preaching to myself. You have to be humbled many times. And to keep a smile on your face. Because that person's going through a difficult time. Verse 14. Do all things without murmuring and disputing. Without grumbling and arguing. Verse 15. That you may become blameless and harmless or innocent. Children of God. Without fault. In the midst of a crooked and perverse generation. Among whom you shine as the lights in the world. Do you remember old President Bush, Bush 41, where he said he created a, a program, an organization called, what was it, Lights, uh, A Thousand Lights, something like that. Remember that? Do you remember that? Way back when, when he was sworn in as president in 1989, he said, I've created a new organization I think it was like a million lights and that everyone should be a light. Well, he was raised an Episcopalian. He must have heard something like this verse. We are to be lights, shining lights in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation. Darkness. And we are the twinkling lights in that darkness. Verse 16. Holding fast the word of life so that I may rejoice in the day of Christ that I have not run in vain or labored in vain. As your father, as your spiritual father, have I labored in vain. You must hold fast the word of life. Zoe is where we get that word You'll see it all throughout the book of John. Zoe life, that is life from heaven. And in heaven, there's no sin. In heaven, there's no darkness. In heaven, there's no sickness. There is no death. There's no starvation. There is no disease. There is no corruption. In heaven, it's all pure and holy. He says we are to hold fast the word of life. And you know, to these people, you know what the word of life was? It was Genesis through Malachi. It was the Old Testament. They were just putting together the letters here. But for them, these people are Jews who become Christians. And their word of life is the Psalms. Their word of life is the book of Kings, second Kings. Their word of life is the Torah, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. That's what the word of life is to them. You're to hold fast. And how do you hold fast? By speaking it. Remember these texts, these Torah scrolls were all spoken out loud. There were no printing presses. When they heard the word of God, they heard the word of God through spoken words by the pastors, and before that, through the rabbis at the synagogue. What did they do? They gave Jesus the Isaiah scroll, and he read it out loud. No silent reading. It was spoken. And when you hold fast the word of life, you're holding on to what you hear, and you're speaking, so that he may rejoice in the day of Christ. 
Didn't say day of Jesus, just day of Christ. The power of God's Holy Spirit. When he comes to judge the earth, it'll be in the power of the Holy Spirit. When he rose Jesus from the dead, in the power of the Holy Spirit. When, he, when we were born again, it's in the power of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is powerful. It changes everything. But we are to become, become, it's a process. Notice as it says in verse 12, as you have always obeyed. Look at the word as, it's a process. As I have always obeyed, whether Paul was there or not, as. He didn't say when or if, he says as. When you see the word as in the Bible, it usually refers to a process you're living through. As I'm obeying, I'm working out my salvation with fear and trembling. As I'm obeying, I'm becoming, verse 15, blameless and harmless, children of God without fault, in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation. And I'm shining as a light in the darkness. In the middle of the night when you're doing what you got to do or suffering, you're shining as a light in the darkness. And you are becoming, it says right there, you are becoming, in verse 15, becoming blameless and harmless or blameless and innocent. You are becoming. It's a process. As you obey, you don't know what he's going to ask you to do. I have my mother with me. She's 88 right now. She may live to be 100. But as I obey, I am becoming like Christ in humility. He'll ask us to do things. He'll put us in situations. We are living a submitted life. Submitting unto the situation. Submitting. This is the way of the cross. I gave everyone in here that book, The Calvary Road. Don't feel guilty if you haven't read it yet. Don't feel guilty. This is the English version they've come out with in the last few years. This is the English, written by an English evangelist, so the original language was English. And uh, it sold, I think the last I heard, five to six million copies since the end of World War II when it came out. It's just a collection of pamphlets, that's all. Don't have to start with chapter one. There's 10 pamphlets in it. Start where you feel comfortable and read it out loud. Read it out loud and when, it, when you stop in the middle of a sentence, meditate on what he's talking about here. It's an extraordinary book. But you really can't live the Christian life unless it's a submitted life. Unless it's a surrendered life. It's a life that says your needs are more important than my own. I'm sticking my neck out for you. A lot of people hang on to stuff. And you can't fit that in the coffin. You can't fit a car or a house with a pool in the coffin. You really can't. Give it away. If, you don't, if you're not using it, give it away. I got stuff in my house. I take care of my mother's house. It's a five-bedroom house with all the closets that you can imagine. <clears throat> Boy, do I have a job ahead of me. I keep trying to give away stuff to Value Village. and Oh my gosh, there's still more. It's like it's breeding in there, like rabbits. There's more to give away. We'll be back at this next time. We're going to have communion right now. And those of you around the world, 
You can get something, you can get a cookie or a tortilla or some bread or a cracker or whatever you got. We're going to have communion and everyone can partake at this time and get some water or whatever you have. And I'm going to take one here. Could you please pass out the communion here to all of us so I could stay near my phone and give this message out. Thank you, dear. Bless you. I don't need that there. So get your stuff together. We're going to have communion and we're going to be together in one around the world. Whoever hears this. So we're going to have communion right now. And we're having communion right now. So we gather together. Thank you for passing it out. You can have communion as many times as you feel the need. You can have communion. And you don't need a pastor around. All you got to do is be a believer in Christ. Be a believer in Christ. And you can have communion. There's nothing in the word that says it has to be pastors or teachers or evangelists or apostles or whoever. As long as you are a believer in Christ and what he did on the cross, you can have it and you can have it as many times as you want. I know certain churches have it once a month. Certain churches have it every time we gather together. And in this class, every time we gather together, Lord willing, we will have communion. So let's take the bread and thank you, Father, for sending us your Son, who is the bread of life, the manna from heaven, and that by your stripes we are healed. And we thank you, Lord, as we submit our bodies to you as our reasonable service, as our reasonable worship, we submit our bodies to you. Use us as you will. Heal our bodies to serve, us, serve, serve you as graciously and as powerfully as possible. And we thank you, Lord, that by your stripes we are healed in Jesus' name. Now take the cup. Forgive us, Lord. Cleanse us by your blood. Wash us clean. Renew us. Remove the guilt from our conscience by the blood of Jesus. The sin is removed. The sins are removed. As far as the east is from the west, we have been cleansed. And we worship you, Lord, and ask for times of refreshing, the power of the Holy Spirit to fulfill your will, and the power of the Holy Spirit to protect us as we plead the blood of Jesus wherever we go, wherever we worship, wherever we move to, everywhere we are, we plead the blood of Jesus to protect us from the enemy who wants to kill, steal, and destroy. As we partake in Jesus' name, we give you thanks. And as we complete this hour, this half hour, I say to all of you around the world and in this classroom, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. And that the name of the Lord is upon us now. Whenever you see that name upon us, Father, you bless us to be a blessing in Jesus' name. Hallelujah. Thank you. Go with God. Thank you for coming. Thank you for listening. 
and have a great day.